Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Today's reading is Psalm 1. This can be found on page 543 in the Church Bible. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Christine. Let's um, pause and ask God to help us from his word. Let's pray. God, our Father, thank you. Because you promised to be here when we meet in your name, when two or three are gathered, we ask now that by your Holy Spirit, the truth that you've revealed will transform us, change us. We know what we're like and you know what we're like, so help us to be the person and the people that you like and that you have called us to be. So Lord, do that work in us, we pray by your grace and in repentance and faith, lead us closer to you, for Jesus' sake. Amen. How are you doing? I mean, actually, really, how are you doing? Because, you know, one of my jobs um, as a bishop is to sort of care pastorally for people. Um, And actually, life is throwing a lot at us at the moment. Um, It seems to me that there is a time of huge pressure and stress, like many people haven't seen for a long time, Um, A lot of us here have been struggling still post-COVID or with finances or with the state of politics or war and things we didn't see. And I I mean, I know particularly this part of South Yorkshire, football is a real problem. (laughs) Bottom of the league for the United and second bottom for Wednesday. I can say that because I come from Manchester. I'm just saying. But, you know, beyond everything else, I think on my heart tonight is, is just to talk a little bit about crisis that's impacting all of us. In some ways, it's every bit as deep and widespread as COVID was, yet it's not acknowledged or recognized most of the time. It underlies a lot of other things that we bear. And I don't mean the immediate crisis that the bishops have caused by allowing the prayers that, John, uh, that uh, Pete was referring to before that implies that we should revisit what the Bible and the church have said for 2,000 years about marriage and sexual intimacy, as though somehow it's open to change. Just trust me, it isn't. Um, you know, God's word is clear and the history of the church is clear and it's tragic where we add confusion to the mix, partly, as uh, you'll see, I hope, because it underlines one of the bigger problems. And, and so it's not that crisis I want to talk about. I don't even want to talk about the crisis that there is in mental health in the UK because one in six of our adults now have diagnosable issues. One in three of our young people have had some sort of uh, support for mental health our society is messing people up big time. And a whole new generation, those younger ones among you, you know what I mean. 
uh, we are not helping people. Our nation is not doing very well at looking after people. That's no surprise, having left a God out of the equation, that beings that are made to be, you know, um, physical, mental, and spiritual, if you miss a third of your dimension of your life out, 2D people are pretty flat when you're made 2D and 3D. But I actually want to address the crisis that I think is in part behind those other ones, a crisis that was actually identified in the 1960s, for those of you old, by a guy called Alvin Toffler, and, and he called it future shock, or you've heard the phrase he coined, information overload. You hear that phrase? When things are changing so rapidly, we stop really making sense of them anymore. We don't really process it. You know, 24-hour news, constant internet stuff, social media. We don't have time to think because it's all happening all of the time. And as a result, some people, many of us really, freeze like rabbits in the headlights. You know, we can't cope with another bit of change and, and, and we don't know what to do. It just, it's too much. And, and that, what that does to us internally is all sorts of things in terms of damaging and, and, and confusing us and we can't cope. Others actually retreat into their own bubbles. You know, social media is a, a lovely toxic place for you to sit around with people who'll talk to yourself, and you only hear what you choose to hear, and you dismiss everything else, and it's usually done at a very loud volume. And, and others even go in and embrace the change. They want to be surfing the waves at such a frightening pace. They lose themselves in the mutually contradictory trends of expressive individualism or the new secular fundamentalism. I am who I choose to be, and you can't tell me to be anything else. Fundamentalist secularism. And, and, and it seems to me that this future shock underlies a lot of the crises that we're in. Alternative lifestyles, alternative truths, alternative ideologies, alternative religions. And, and historically, the church has panicked and done really nothing about it and kept quiet, or it's tried to make accommodations, usually about 20 years after the trends have passed. But that's not God's answer to those challenges. And now more than ever, we need to know how he intends a life of faith to shape life, how what God reveals actually gives us hope in the face of future shock and stability in the chaos and confusion of culture change. And here's, I think, where the Psalms are a real help. I love the Psalms because they're not downloads of theological doctrine. They're not dry academic truths. See, the problem we're feeling, future shock is felt. It's not just thought. It's a feeling. These are heartfelt cries of people wrestling with faith in the real world in the Psalms, dealing with society that denies God's, dealing with fears and stresses and suffering. And this Psalm, Psalm 1, introduces the whole book of Psalms by giving the foundations of how you're going to find yourself in the midst of the confusion, how you can actually follow a path that will help you navigate all of this um, different byways and the highways to find God again. When everything else is changing, it says this you can rely on. And you heard it read. It's simple in one sense. Psalm 1 presents it as saying, you've only got two ways to live ultimately. Either in a life shaped by knowing God, in a personal living relationship with a living personal God, or you live your life apart from Him, where other voices are louder 
other ways will lead you away. And as we look at the psalm, I'd like you just to keep in mind that thought of how am I really engaging with God? How am I really knowing Him in the midst of these times? How does your faith feel? Because trust me, no one writes songs unless it touches them deeply. And this is a song. This isn't a thinking stuff. It's about knowing it. This isn't an intellectual game or a spiritual uh, training course. This is a song written from conviction, a song of someone who knows and loves the Lord, and more importantly, someone who knows that he is known and loved by the Lord too. In fact, it tells you that this path, in the first words of the psalm, blessed is the one who... Dot, dot, blessed... Now, I know there's a bit of confusion about what blessing means, particularly when the big crisis in the Church of England is about prayers of love and blessing. I mean, prayers of um, love and faith and about blessing people and who can receive them. What's it mean to be blessed? Well, trust me, it's not what has been said in those contexts. It means that we're enjoying a privileged gift from God. That's what blessing is, something that God gives that we enjoy. We talk of people being blessed with children, for example. And we don't mean they're always happy. That's not what blessing is. It's not happier than people. Because trust me, you know, if somebody's got toddlers on the... I mean, ask them what it's really like. And what do they do? Just keep you up all night and nappies. I mean, have you seen them? Have you smelled them? They're not looking at happy other people with that blessing. But parents are blessed with children because they're entrusted with a precious gift of life, a deep, loving relationship. It's something that brings them closer to God because it's a gift from God. And that's what the psalmist means by this. Those who knew, know God and follow his ways are going to be blessed. Because God will give you a gift of a living relationship with him that hasn't been earned or deserved. It can't be repaid. It is given to you by grace. And because it's a gift that is God-given, nobody can take it away from you. It's yours. And so blessings are God-given, not church-given. You can't bless something that God doesn't commend. But more importantly, it comes from him. It means that you are particularly special to God. And in accordance with his word and ways, it comes as a gift. Is that, is, that how you, is that how you see your faith? Do you realize how awesome it is that you can know the God who made the universe? Do you know how incredible it is that the God who shaped every atom and molecule of the universe is bothered about you. You know, we're in a world that tells you you don't mean anything till you've got five minutes of fame on the internet. But trust me, God sees everything you think, everything you do, all that you live, and he loves you to the uttermost that he'll give his son to die for you. You are that blessed in Jesus Christ. We need to be that, to own that, to live that amidst the pains and the confusions of our world at the moment. That gift amazes you and excites you. Because the extent to which it doesn't means we haven't grasped what this psalm is all about. So if you want to know that feeling, read on. Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked or stand the way of sinners or take the company of mockers. The first three verses really say that life's greatest privilege, joy, and responsibility is simply knowing God. Here's the three ways to be truly blessed. Firstly, that God transforms our relationships with others. Uh, and that's verse one. It means the stuff you won't do anymore. 
And why wouldn't you do that? Because of a new love. Now, I don't know, I'm, I'm an old man now, but I do remember when my best friend fell in love when he was um, in his late teens. And, and one moment, he was one of the lads, he was the guitarist in the band that I used to drum for, he would be out into his us in the early hours, he was into his music and into his sport. And then the next moment, every conversation was about Fiona. He was always out with her. He'd check with her before he came out with us. How boring was that? You know what it's like. His attitude changed because he loved her. And we didn't make sense of it. I didn't understand what he was on about until I fell in love with Sarah. He didn't want to carry on the way that he did before it. Love does that. That's what God wants for us. He doesn't want religion. He doesn't want coming into a building. He wants your heart. And he's given you his. He's given you his life. And if that is true, there are things that you won't be able to do anymore because you love him. That's what the psalmist is getting at. Blessed is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Actually, what he's doing is he's spelling out the way that you can fall out of love with God. If you start to walk in step with the wicked, it simply means if you just start to hang out with them as though it doesn't matter that they don't love the one you love, you know, you'll happily party along with their thoughts that are displeasing to God. You don't mind it when they slag him off. You go along with it, you walk along. I mean, you know, you've got to, you've got to talk to people, haven't you? So, but when you walk in that, if you do, eventually you'll become comfortable with it and you'll end up standing in the way that they take. Even though you know they're wrong deep down, you'll stand up for their views. Well, everybody's entitled to their opinion, aren't they? Try telling that to the God who made the universe. And finally, you'll become cynical about committed people. And instead of challenging us to change and be the person God made us to be, we'll be tempted to make fun of them and sit in that skill, the company of mockers. The people who make fun of those who are just that bit more committed. So it's easy to happen. Our culture does it all the time. You've been on X recently? How many times have you been edified on X? Sorry, Twitter used to be. For the old people, it's on social media. It's a thing on the computer what we had before letters and phones you know it's just it's not a place where you're going to be growing faith is it I mean if you found it to be a place tell me because I haven't seen it I've only seen the damage that it does to people don't be comfortable with these things and understand we're all going to feel these pressures because we all want to be liked we all want to fit in with our friends in our society but we who know the Lord are saying actually I love you Lord I know what I'm here for I know that I'm here for more than just me you know in a culture that says it's all about you you're worth it as you spend all your money on shampoo no actually we're more than that we're made to know the God who made the universe we're in touch with the one who rules it all there is no higher calling, no greater gift than to know the living God. So don't cheapen it by following people who don't know that. Rather, pray for them, work for them, help them open their eyes to what a waste of a life it is not to know the one that made you. Those who love him will put him first and walk a different path. 
And if you walk that different path without God, you'll just end up wanting to please yourself and not him. You'll want to follow a different path away from him. They won't turn away from sin. They'll tolerate it and justify it. And then they'll mock the people that stand up for it. So someone says, look, this is why you're going to feel it. Because if you put yourself in that environment, you are going to be weighed down by those who will take you on a different path. If you want to know the blessing of God, love him. So here's the first guard against future shock. When you're not quite sure which way to go and it's all out there, don't be driven by the desire to fit in. Don't be driven by the desire to fit in with what others are doing. Decide never to demean or distance yourself from those who honor God or crave acceptance or justification from those who don't. This is dangerous territory. See, one of the strange things that I've observed amongst other bishops, particularly those who are promoting changes to biblical teaching about marriage and sex, is that many of them started off well. Do you know, over half of the liberal bishops started life in evangelical churches, and some of them in conservative churches. In fact, I bumped into the sister of one of the bishops who's in a conservative church, and and her sister was one of the leading church members, you know, at the time. They started well, but drift away. How did that happen? They started loving what people loved more than the one who called them to faith. Be warned about where you walk or stand or sit in relation to those outside. And if we shouldn't delight in the self-indulgence of this world's light, we need to know what God delights in. And that's what he says, verse 2. But those whose delight is in the Lord, law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night... So knowing God not only changes the relationships, it means delighting in his word. Now, if you get lots of text messages or WhatsApps and you're in all those groups, which ones do you read first? I mean, I had, you know, I was, I've got sort of about 16 different groups. I'll tell you what I read first, custard clam. You think, well, no, that, that happens to be our family or that group. <laughs> Don't ask why, but we were the biggest in one of the online games at one stage um, in Lord of the Rings Online, the Custer Clan. Anyway, that's completely irrelevant, but at the end of the day, you know what you listen to first? You do, you do the ones, listen to what, the ones from the people you love. That's it, isn't it? Your delight is to hear from those who love you. And what's the greatest joy for those who love God? His delight is in the law of the Lord who meditates on this law day and night. (laughs) This is why you know it's love we're talking about here. This experience of the psalm writer was that reading the law of God, and remember, in case you're getting worried, this is the first five books of the Bible he's talking about, the Pentateuch, with a few others maybe. Reading God's word for him was exciting and joyful. Why? Because he was hearing from the one that he loved. He wants those words. He wants to know what God's thinking. He wants to hear. And God's given us it so that we'll know. Here's the secret. How is Bible reading a joy when for so many it seems a chore? The answer is in how you read it. Now, you can read all sorts of things in different ways. You can read bill reminders in the post in a different way than you read adverts. You read love letters in a different way than newspapers. But here's what the person who knows God is said to do. Meditate on God's word. Now, that doesn't mean go, um, or some other Eastern. That's not what he's talking about, meditation here. 
it's not empty your mind and fill it with nothing or sit in a cushion and chant. In the Bible, meditate means think about its application. Think about the difference it makes. That's what meditation on God's word means, all the way through the Bible. Think about what God wants you to do with this. Because the living God is speaking living words to your heart. He wants you to live it. It's more than just reading. It's asking not just what does it say, but what difference is it going to make to me? So if this is God's message to his people whom he loves, it has a huge implications for how we please him and live for him. This book is not a holy book to be revered. It's a personal message from a God who has given his life for you. A one who actually wants you to start really living in a world where people are saying you've got to find your own path. He says, no, I know the best path for you. Trust me. Trust me, and I will give you the fullest of life you can have if you'll follow my way, if you obey and live it out. Those who know and love God delight in studying and living out the Word of God because guess what? When you start to follow that path, your life will change, and you'll suddenly discover what you're here for. I can tell you that. I was an atheist at 18. God's Word had no part in my life. And I had all the arguments and confusions and all the reasons not to be a Christian. I argued with my mate who'd become a Christian, um, you know, till the cows come home. But at the end of the day, I didn't know where I was going or what I was doing. And yet I found when I started on the path of trusting what God says, that suddenly life started to make sense. Suddenly I wasn't on my own, I was part of something bigger. You ever looked around here tonight? Do you know what God's doing in Fullwood? He's brought together a whole bunch of people who'd never say hi to each other if you weren't here. I mean, look, I mean, come on, really? <laughs> but I see you be here. Look at the diversity, every race, background, stage, age, uh, all of the different, th this is special. This isn't happening anywhere else in this community. This is a God thing. This is a thing that says you're not on your own. You're made for more. You are part of something bigger than yourself. And God is doing that and reveals that because you have a people who come and say, actually, your word is making sense of this. This is the second guard, if you like, against those who are overloaded with the messages. It's not that every truth is valid. It's not that it's all your own opinion. You ask the one who's made you. If you want to make sense of your life, listen to the one who loves you enough to die for you, who's made you and shares his life with you. Listen to him more than the streams of data. Read your Bible more than you listen to the news, more than you do your texts. Simple, really. Make the voice of the one who loves you most the most important voice you hear. And let his truth carry you for the rest. Because then you'll be blessed. Then you'll have this gift that he's talking about. The gift that comes from God himself. The gift of peace and purpose and, and direction and, and, and hope. And those who do that show one other characteristic in verse 3. Because knowing God like that means you'll be fruitful. Fruitful in his service. Like a person, like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and its leaf doesn't wither. Whatever they do prospers. You know, what's a person like who disassociates from those who displease God and delights in God? Well, actually, fed by these streams of living water from the word of God, you'll be fruitful and evergreen. And that image was even more powerful for them because, remember, Israel is a dry, barren, near desert. 
So you imagine if a green tree conjures up an incredible beauty. I know there's a lot of green around here because a lot of rain, but hey, you know, imagine just that picture of beauty in the middle of a desert. Now, I remember several people like that in church when I was converted. Um, they were like that because I, now as a teenager, I was a bit of a rebel. I was, I was a drummer in a band. and you know what drums are like? <laughs> awesome, aren't we? No. <laughs> if I'd been an atheist, I was arguing against it and trying to disprove it all the way. And I didn't really know what to do. And, and to be honest, it was an old prayer book church. And, and having a bunch of teenagers, and quite a lot of us at the time, where we had to sing these psalms in ancient language, and I remember one particular one vividly. Can you imagine a whole load of hormonal teenagers having to sing, we'll be as lusty as eagles? That conjured up images that I don't think were intended by the writer of the psalms. But anyway, um, rather than take offense, these older people weren't bothered by what I was wearing. They weren't bothered that I wasn't joining in properly and sort of gossiping quietly or even having a giggle. But they loved me enough to make time for me and come over and talk to me. In fact, a couple of them made that point, even against what I was doing. And rather than criticize, they always had something to encourage me with. They were all actually pleased to see me. You know, they were actually doing what churches should do. You know, it's easy to descend into cliques of friends in a church, you know, especially a larger one. But actually, they didn't do that. They said, actually, you matter because you matter to God. You matter to me. I'm going to give you my time. And rather than criticize, they encouraged and what I couldn't do, even though I was trying to argue against the faith that they had, is I couldn't deny that there was something different here. That they were dancing to a different tune. And they had a peace and a joy that I didn't know. See, I don't know why you think you're here tonight, but you know, in the Bible, you're here for other people, not for yourself. In the Bible, when we gather to spur each other on to love and good deeds, you're here because somebody else needs you. You're here because somebody else needs you. Do you know who it is? Maybe you do. Maybe you know somebody who's burdened. But trust me, God's got you here for a purpose. And that purpose isn't just some sort of to reinforce the self-indulgence of our lives. It isn't that. You know, I mean, it's, it's awesome to sit on wooden chairs. I know you'd really rather do that than sit in your sofas tonight. So that's fine, you masochists. <laughs> but no, God's got you here for a purpose because he's doing a bigger thing than just you. And he wants you here for someone else. And what's the thing you'll bring? I don't know. Maybe you don't know. But trust me, I've been encouraged being here in this church today. The people who've come up to me and said a word to me. Some have helped me think about things differently. Some of you tell me stories. I even got to give some pudding to some gorgeous saints of your church this afternoon who, who can't make it to church because of COVID. So I got to go out and give them pudding. Brilliant. Pavlova. Excellent. Just, just bigging up Johnny and Naomi. They're great. But that's a leaf that never withers when you're here for somebody else. It's only leaves that are in constant contact with the water that will never shrivel under the sun. It's those who are connected to the living Lord who have living words to share. So it's your, it's your fruitfulness that guards you against this future shock. You know, Everything's confusing. We can't make sense of it. Nobody knows what's true. Well, get on and live this way and your life will bear fruit and then you'll know because you won't find it to be fruitful any other way than the way of Jesus. 
So stop worrying about all the possibilities and start following the path that he's given you and you'll find fruit is born and you won't have to worry about those other things because you'll see the truth of it. That's what gives us confidence in the face of those alternatives. Hold on to the way that works. You know, don't be the person who's always throwing up questions. I've done that, throwing up the problems. At least risk doing what Jesus said. A third of the world's population have risked it and finding it to be a joy. So you wouldn't be alone. But at the end of the day, it's until you take that step of faith, you won't know. Until you actually rely on it, you won't be trusting it. I used to talk in baptism service about the difference between belief and trust. See, I know here today that you all believe in parachutes. Yeah, you know, you've seen what they've done. They open up to save people when they jump out of a plane. I can tell you there's a big difference between belief and trust when you stand in the doorway of a plane at 5,000 feet and jump. You see, trust isn't a leap in the dark. You'd be an idiot to jump out and say, I wonder if parachutes work. Yay! Trust is when you know it will work, but you take the step to depend upon it. That step of obedience that brings fruitfulness to your life is a step of trust. Let God do his work as you let God have your life. And you'll find that way does work. That's my testimony. Mind you, it works too well. They end up making me a bishop. But that's not, don't let that put you off. Actually, this is the awesome privilege of knowing the living God. Because he is bothered about the people out there. He's bothered about the difference your life will make. He's bothered about you making a distance for eternity, not just for five minutes of fame on the internet. He is bothered because you matter. And what he's made you matters. So here's this blessedness that you can. Not going with the crowd, but fruitfulness, delighting in the word of God. And, and he has to say, look, if, great, if that's great, the great privilege and joy of life is that, there is a great misery if you never come to that, which is what verses 4 and 5 say. The contrast is stark. The wicked aren't like that. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. And the wicked won't stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of righteousness. Chaff, by the way, is... Um, the leftover husks of grain, which, you know, you eat, you eat a bit, because that's the bit that you could eat. The stuff that's left over is horrible. It just gets in your teeth and makes you ill. Um, so to not follow God's way is just to be, have a mouthful of rubbish. It's fruitless. There's no nourishment. We lose touch with the life-giving water. What we have to say doesn't mean anything. Well, trust me, there's a lot of dross out there giving you alternative answers that doesn't mean anything. And more than that, it's doomed. And not in the way of Dad's army where the private phrases used to go, you're doomed! It sounds so much better in a Scottish accent. I can say that I'm a Munro. That's a Scottish derivation. But no, this is God's work. That if your life is detached from a living relationship to God, that on that day of judgment when Jesus returns, there is no hope for you. And that's what Jesus said. He said, Matthew 7, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Because on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare, says Jesus, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me you evildoers. You see, if your life isn't fruitful, if you're not listening to God, and if you're hanging out with people against him, on the day he returns and says, what did you do with the good news I gave you? 
You see, you haven't wasted your life. You've broken life. There's only one truth that can save you from death. The death that Jesus died to save us from. And it's the truth that he gives. So neither will we be part of the congregation of the righteous who know God personally. We'll have distanced ourselves from those who follow the crowd and will not stand in the judgment. So in my experience, those who disconnect from God's word and his people end up more isolated, less fruitful, more dissatisfied, defensive about their life, and they want to inflict their misery on everyone else. You might say to the house of bishops, Actually, I haven't said that, but I'm trying to always say things that I've already said to them. I haven't quite said that to them yet, so forgive me. I'll try and work it into my next speech to them. But actually, this is about life and death. This is about flourishing or damaging. Faith is not about self-realization. It's about the honor of good Jesus Christ. And that's his final word, verse 6. Because life's greatest confidence is to be known by this God. Here's a promise to give assurance to those who do. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Those who know that their reality is in being loved by God, those who disassociate from those who rebel against him and love the word that he's given and have fruitful lives according to the promises that he makes, they will be known by God, they'll be watched by God, not in a spooky big brother way, but in a way that actually he cares. They're like a mother looking after the chicks, a mother hen or something. Like um, a mother, a human mother does, watching over those who can't care for themselves. The word know here is what it says. It's the Lord knows the way of the righteous, the literal word. And, and the word know, which is translated here, watches over, is the intimate word. In marriage, a husband is said to know his wife. So it's a little bit more than watches over. The promise God makes is that they'll be known. You will be known by the living God who will take an active and intimate concern for your life and my life. And here's the final answer to this future shock with so many choices, so many things loading in. What do we do? How do we cope with the confusion of information overload? You are known. And loved by the living God. You matter to him. You are shaped uniquely, personally, preciously to be his. You are valued eternally at the cost of the death of Jesus Christ. He will go to the cross for you because he loves you. You are. And he knows. Even if you don't know who you are, he knows. So ask him if you don't know. Find your faith in him. Find your purpose in him. Find your life in him. You don't have to fake it to fit in. You don't have to follow the fads or fear being ignored because on this path, you will always find the presence and peace of the living God. Paul puts it like this in Romans 8, in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? No, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So tonight, the challenge of this psalm is this. I want you to feel it. Because whatever our information-saturated world will tell you, throwing up all the confusing messages and choices so that you don't quite know what to do, there are only two ways to live. You can live with him, guarded by his presence, guided by his word, or you can live away from him, 
in the fruitlessness of a self-expression that will neither satisfy you nor save you in the end. So this could be the most important choice you make in your life tonight because you need to know which path you're on. You need to know whose voice you listen to. You need to know who you love most. Because amidst the confusions of the alternative and the choices and decisions of your life, one path is driven by others, fitting in with what they push and promote, and the other path will delight God in God, fruitful for others and conscious of his presence. So here's your choice. Be chaff or be chosen. Belong to God's people or be a part. Be blessed because it's the way God made you for or perish in the end because the only path that leads away from God will lead you to judgment and death. So choose which you'll serve. Choose to follow the path. But just know, blessed is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked. But the Lord watches over the righteous. Put your hand into his and you'll find the path for your life and the hope for your future and the life that death will not defeat. Choose Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you, by your word, have given us such a clear message about who we are and how we're to live. And in a world with all sorts of alternatives that upset us and distress us and confuse us, thank you that there is only one foundation that will lead to things at last. And Lord, teach us to walk in your way. Give us a love for your word. Give us a love for your ways. And may our lives be fruitful for you. May you help us understand how precious we are in your sight and what purpose we have for your glory. And so Jesus Christ, make, help us again tonight as we pray, as we praise you, to make that choice to say, I want my life to live forever. I want my life to matter for others. I want my life to be fruitful. I want my life to be yours for the glory of Jesus Christ, my Savior. Amen.